Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. February 20th. 2020 that is today we are coming to you uh, that is that is tonight it's almost february 21st which uh so i'm matt minnick and i'm joined here by michael rogner on the on the tomahawk nation hoops dedicated podcast and so we're, we are now getting into michael uh you know less than 10 days from march and and i know that march madness doesn't really start on march 1st but but you can start to smell the madness in the air are, are you are you getting ready for it have you taken off the whole week of work uh that you know coming up here in about a month are, are you telling me that march madness has not started I, it's, <laughs> it's it's started in my house so yeah yeah uh what do you have any traditions by the way uh i mean besides taking the days off the 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 first two days of the ncaa tournament the first two real days are the best two days in sports um, better than Sunday at the Masters, better than the Super Bowl or what, whatever. Um, the first two days of the NCAA tournament, so I always I always take those days off 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 of work and uh, spend the day on my couch or on a on a stool in a bar. Yeah, so totally with you on better than the Super Bowl, and and I even have sometimes have a rooting interest there uh, with the Packers. But uh, Sunday at the Masters, that's going bold. You tell me that Tiger and and. Uh, <laughs> And maybe Kepka and and Mickelson are all in contention there uh, uh, Sunday at the Masters. But I, I agree with you. The first two days of March Madness are pretty special. Uh, this year, I actually have a meeting that I have got to can't get out of. Uh, but it takes place in the morning, and since I'm in Eastern Time Zone, uh, I I have the afternoon off and the Friday, so should be should be good to go. Um, 
so we're going to talk some March uh, as, as during this podcast, as it is coming up in, uh, in nine days from now. Uh, but we're going to talk more in terms of the, the rooting intro, like giving you a rooting guide for, for this weekend as we think about uh, the seeds that are, everyone is gunning for in March. Uh, but we're, first, we're going to talk about, uh, the, we're going to recap the pit game, which, which went about as expected. And, and of course, we're going to preview uh, the NC State game, an NC State team that, that is coming off a, a total uh, demolition of the Duke Blue Devils. Um, let's start with Pitt, though. Michael, uh, we talked, both of us, I think, predicted a, a you know, solid victory, and, and that seemed to be the case. Uh, what, what did you see there? I mean, did anything surprise you? I, th- I thought the one thing that jumped out is that this, this is a game that could have gotten away from Pitt really early. They, uh, you know, they, they are a team that's, that's a little bit challenged in terms of height and some, you know, sometimes in, in terms of shooting. Uh, they had three key players, Justin Champigny, Xavier Johnson, and Audrey Tony, all pick up two fouls in the first half. And if you remember back to, uh, you know, our visit to Pitt, we had key players, MJ Walker and Devin Massell, pick up two fouls. They sat for the last 18 and a half minutes of the first half, finished the game with three fouls. Uh, Pitt's coach, Jeff Capel, managed things a little bit differently. He played Audrey's Tony for the last nine minutes of the second half with two fouls. He played Champagny six minutes with two fouls, and Champagny had some moments in that game where that, that kid is going to be a load in the future. And then Xavier Johnson played five minutes in the first half with two fouls. So had he had a, have a policy of auto-sitting two guys, like um, a coach that he was coaching against that night has, um, that game would have would have been totally, you know, just a, a blowout by halftime. But he he hung with his guys. They probably committed some fouls, but the refs were not uh, going to call them. You know, they, they if one, once players have two fouls, fouls in the first half, you really have to do something wrong, you know, to pick up that third foul. And so the, so the, all three guys uh, got through the first half with only two fouls. So I, th- I thought it was a good job of Capel kind of keeping his team in it, but then. You know, the second half happened, and Patrick Williams was 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 unguardable, and 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 we pretty much rolled him. Pretty much rolled them, indeed. Uh, the lead got as big as twenty two, and quite honestly, probably could have been uh, closer to thirty um, if if the uh, if Florida State didn't once again lose the free throw battle against Pitt. I, I think I saw you tweet at some point that that what is that like a hundred and something attempts for Pitt from the free throw line in the last three games against Florida State. Um, part part of that, as we discussed in the in the pregame, is that uh, Pitt gets to the line frequently, right? I mean that's kind of what they do, uh, and and we are are very good at sending teams to the line. Uh, that is, we've, we've picked up that hallmark this year. And, and on the flip side of that, we're also very good at turning teams over and blocking shots. So, so there is some risk reward there. Uh, but yeah, this was, this was a game that uh, honestly for the last, let's say 17 minutes just was never the, the outcome was never in doubt. Uh, and as you said, Patrick Williams, uh, again, showed that he is the, the best athlete on the court most times when he takes the court. And, and now you're looking at an athlete, six, eight, 220 pound athlete who is starting to put some of the other things together too, and starting to have the game slow down for him. Uh, this was his second Ken Palm MVP uh, designation in a row. It's his third in the last five games. 
so he, he certainly has taken a next step. And, and in 22 minutes played, uh, the youngster had 16 points, uh, four offensive rebounds, uh, and a block. He, he, he also made a three. So he, he's made at least one three in four out of the last five games as well. Uh, so truly starting to display a well-rounded game. Uh, let me ask you one question. We went to a zone in the first half. And, and we, as if you've watched Florida State basketball play for a while, you know that that is a rare thing under Leonard Hamilton. Uh, did you like the move to the zone? And second, what did you think of FSU's execution of the zone? I, I love the move to the zone. You know, typically, you know, Ham will often pull out the zone for like one possession at the end of a half just to confuse a coach. Uh, but but he got tired of seeing Pitt just drive into the lane sort of uncontested and and went to a zone that was that was just, from an X's and O's perspective, was just kind of fun to watch. I mean, those guys were – flying around, covering some ground. I saw, I saw some some comments that maybe he went zone to try to rest for us, but that's not a zone you run to rest anybody. I mean, that's a super active zone, if you want to call it like a diamond and one or a one-three-one or, or, or whatever the, whatever the case. Um, it, when we got the zone, when we rolled out the zone, Pitt was confused. They didn't know what to do. They had, uh, you know, a, a stretch of like six or seven possessions where they maybe scored one time. So it was effective, and then there was a timeout or a, a media break of, of some sort, and after that, they pretty much got whatever they wanted against the zone. You know, once he was able to to remind his players, you know, how to attack that kind of zone, they did they did they did a pretty good job, and 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 we saw, uh, you know, Ham go. <laughs> we saw Ham go man to man for you know most of the rest of the way. Yeah, I. So I'm totally with you on liking the move to it. I, I think that if nothing else, man, it, it puts something great on film that, that maybe another coach has to think about. Uh, and, and you know what? I think that I don't want us to move away from, from our man-to-man staple, and I don't even mind us switching on a lot of stuff. I know that sometimes we can get into trouble with the switching, but I think over the long haul it does more uh, good than, than bad, particularly when, when, you, when I say long haul, when you really zoom out. And you think about what we talked about last time that guys like polite gray uh, Osborne, all these guys are going to be on the team for another two years. And so you really want to, you know, when we talked about the 2012 team before and how that team could essentially uh, switch, it was a team full of grown men that were all third and fourth year players. And it could essentially switch into almost any defense it needed to at any time, because they all were just that comfortable in our systems. Uh, and so you have to know that Leonard Hamilton, as he always is, is playing the long game. And so he, he's trying to get guys comfortable in something that is going to pay uh, dividends, not just this season, but down the road. So I don't want us to go away from that. That said, I think that we have some athletes like Devin Vassell and, and Patrick Williams, uh, Trent Forrest, who their length and their lateral quickness can can probably be an effective zone at times, right? In five, six possession stretches, especially if we rep it a little more. Uh, so I, I really liked it. Uh, before we move too far away uh, or go on from the pit game, which, which I don't think we're going to spend much more time on it, but Trent Forrest had, uh, so a kind of good news, bad news, right? Like good news, he only played 25 minutes and we had talked about like, gosh, this has to be a game that we get his minutes under 30. Uh, mission accomplished went two for four from three 
Uh, how about that? Only, only the second time this season and, and I believe career that he's made uh, multiple threes in a game. So really starting to see, I mean, so he was two for four in this game. He was one for one in the Syracuse game. He also made one in the UNC game. So he truly is becoming someone who is at least comfortable shooting the three. I don't know. I'd quite use the word threat uh, for him, but you know, under 100 offensive rating, he had four turnovers. That goes along with his six turnovers against Syracuse. Some of them just seem awfully careless. The, we, we, we talked earlier in the year about is he just making maybe mistakes because his efficiency has been – or his, uh, his usage has been forced to go up so much? Or, or is it some – is he starting to fall into a little bit of a trap of like he focuses in more for the bigger opponents and almost, almost picks his spots of when senior Trent Forrest has to really dial in and be senior Trent Forrest and kind of gets a little lackadaisical, does it look like, in other, in other moments? Yeah, I, I, I think I'd actually add another theory there in that he's just tired. You know, he, he, he played the entire second half against Syracuse and turned the ball over six times, turned it over four against Pitt. And some of those turnovers are uh, plays that, that he typically would not try to make, you know, some of the, some of the, some of the passes. And so I'm, I'm hoping that, his, that, you know, as your legs get tired, um, you know, it, it affects you mentally. It affects your ability to, you know, to process what's happening. And so I, I think a few of those turnovers were probably just, just him being tired. But in general, you know, the, the larger perspective on Trent and the rest of the starters is that all of the starters, you know, three of them didn't even score in the first half. Devin Vassell's first shot didn't come until, the, you know, like 13 minutes into the game. Devin was starters, awful. And I, yeah. I like Devin a lot, both as a player and a, and a guy. But he was terrible in this game. Yeah, the starters as a whole were underwhelming, especially in the first half. Um, I thought thought that Forrest, even though he you know was not particularly efficient and turned the ball over four times, was probably the best of those guys. Um, and MJ Walker, you know, also, also had some really, really really nice drives in that game. You know, despite the you know he started with that face mask and and uh, you know got rid of that, but then he still got, he got hit in the face a couple times. He took that flagrant foul, so he he was toughing it out and making some good things happen. And then what we, before we move on, I, I do want to mention Balsa and Dom. You know, there's two games in a row that they've, they've been pretty good. If you, if you combine their stats, it was like 29 minutes, 15 points, nine boards. Balsa had three, uh, three assists, which you don't often see from, from your big man. And two three of them were good. Yeah. yeah, dimes. There was that one, that little pocket pass in the second half where no look in traffic. Uh, a little slip pass to the guy cut to the basket. And then, then the other one that stood out was when he caught the rebound and Raekwon was cut into the basket and he, he, he caught the rebound and threw it to him all in one motion. It was just, you know, really pretty basketball. So he is starting to come on. You know, we talk a lot about Patrick Williams, kind of the lights coming on for Patrick Williams. And I, I think the same thing could be said for Balsa. He's not going to impact the games nearly as much as Patrick Williams, but you know, Balsa is a guy who's probably going to be here three years. And, you know, you, you can really see that the the college game has slowed down enough that he's able to be a little bit more effective. You know, this was a guy who was not dominant at all in high school, you know, so we can't expect them to be dominant at this level right away. Uh, but, you know, he he's stringing together some good games, which, which, is, which is good to see. I'm glad you brought them up. You know, I, I also – everything that you said I think is spot on. 
they they looked like they were a bit more aggressive too, but in a controlled way. Uh, and, and, and Dom seems to pick up uh, offensive fouls left and right. But um, both of them, I felt like really attacked attacked the glass, attacked the rim. God, was it Dom that had a dunk there? Maybe in the first half, I, I actually was surprised there wasn't a tech. He sort of did like a um, the rim uh, rattle. Yeah, like he kind of like did like a half pull up almost on the rim, and I'm. I'm pleasantly surprised there wasn't a tech. These are kids. They should have fun. Um, but, it, no, I, I I was pleased that versus maybe the Duke game or something where they, they just didn't seem to really attack anything with any aggression, that they, they seem to bring a little bit more about that. And and while we're on Dom, you know, way back in, like, podcast, maybe number three or four, we, we talked about how, you know, everyone has roles to play. And like you said, nobody – they might not have a huge impact on any one game, but but you've got to get these – role players are what make uh, – what allow a, a deep March run. And, and we, one of the roles that they have to play is rebounding. And we talked about how Dom, uh, for for whatever his, uh, you know, areas of, of weakness are or, or things that he's just never going to be, you know, like a shot blocker, for example – his offensive rebounding numbers have kind of maintained through the year. We, we said, well, we need to go back and look at that three, four, five weeks from now. You know, here's a guy who 9.3% of the offensive available offensive boards when he was on the court at Drake his freshman year, 8.7 at Ole Miss his sophomore year, 7.8 uh, at Ole Miss his, his uh, junior year. And again, we're talking about of all the shots that his team takes while he's on the court – he rebounded 7.8% of them, right? Like he grabbed almost 8% of the available offensive rebounds when he was on the court this year at Florida state, 14.1. Uh, so the only time in his career he's in double digits and he's well, well above uh, his previous rate. And then you look over at Bolsa, who's just a freshman and he's grabbing defensive rebounds at 15 and a half percent of the time that he's on the court. So those two guys are really giving uh, Florida State something in their limited time when they're on the floor. And, and hey, it's important to have role players uh, fill their role. Uh, so let, let's move on uh, from that and maybe get into a little bit of discussion just on the ACC in general. Uh, we, had, we had talked about uh, several of the games that were going on that were kind of big around for the standings. And even on this pod a couple weeks ago, uh, we said, well, hey, you know what? That Florida State loss to Duke probably ends any chance at, at finishing as a one seed in the ACC. I, I will say I'll be happy to eat crow if this happens, but it does seem like that door has been pushed open thanks to uh, Duke getting just destroyed by NC State. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that, that game, how it happened, and then also maybe some of the ramifications there? Yeah, I think a lot of people, maybe that was the first time they've seen NC State uh, play this year, and they go out and, and beat Duke by 22. They make 62% of their threes, and they didn't take a bunch, but they but they made them. And, and just uh, to calm fans down down a little bit, NC State is not a good shooting team. You know, they're, they're – that was that was a fluke. That was one of those things where we're always talking about how does this happen to Florida State that you know Scott Wood, this freshman, comes in and makes seven whatever. You know that was kind of their game. Markel Johnson made 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 five threes against Duke, but even beyond the shooting, you know they just they just tore Duke apart. The the <laughs> the only real effective offense that Duke had was was Vernon Carey and 
when they were making their comeback in the second half, I think they cut they cut the score from about twenty, you know, twenty twenty two points um, down to eleven, and that was all playing through Vernon Carey, and then for whatever reason they went like four straight possessions where he didn't even touch the ball. And the lead was, you know, ballooned back up, and and so I don't I don't know what was going on with the, with the Duke coaching staff, and they they clearly had a weapon that that uh, NC State could not stop, and they just they just went away from using him. He ended ended up with uh, twenty seven points, twelve boards, and and that was with you know Trey Jones and and you know Wendell Moore trying to trying to play hero for the for most of the second half. So it, it, it's a fun game. It's all you know. I was getting texts from from buddies. You know, all over the country because this these are the games that national people tune into, and so and it's always fun to watch Duke lose. So you know, go, go state, I guess. It was a fun game, and so state now state's kind of made a habit of this. Frankly, I think what is this? This is like it's either three of the last four times that Duke's coming to Raleigh, or four of the last five. But uh, state seems to take this the NC State Duke rivalry uh, more seriously, I think, perhaps than Duke does, uh, which which. Conversely, I think Roy Williams takes the UNC-NC State rivalry very seriously, and, and UNC has dominated uh, NC State over the last decade. But, but State has had a lot of success against Duke, particularly in Raleigh. That success has not always translated into success against a lot of other teams. Um, State's basketball team is very much like their football team in that they, they are able to get up for, you know, in football, the Florida States and the Clemsons of the world when they come to Carter-Finley and and NC State is able to get up for Dukes and, and you know, this year of Florida State when they come uh, to the PNC Center. But that that win um, did have some pretty big ramifications. So here's here's what we're looking at. First of all, there's there's a whole bunch of trash down at the bottom of the league. Uh, Pitt, Miami, Wake, North Carolina, all of them already have double-digit conference losses. Uh, and I know that we're playing in a 20-game schedule now, so, you know, these these lot the win totals are going to be inflated just like the loss totals are but all of them already have double digit conference losses there's a whole bunch of mediocrity there in the middle that have between seven and nine losses and and frankly any team from it wouldn't shock me to finish five through probably about nine with those teams or ten and then you've got four and really three who have kind of separated themselves so you've got virginia sitting there at ten and five in the conference play uh florida state is 12 and three Duke is 12 and three and Louisville's a half game up at 13 and three. So here's what, what you have. If uh, none of, we know this, that Florida state and Louisville play each other. So one of those teams is going to lose a game, thus giving them a fourth conference loss. If all three teams finish with four losses. So that would mean that uh, Duke has to lose one more time. And then uh, the winner of the Louisville-Florida State game loses somewhere else. And the loser of the Florida State-Louisville game doesn't lose at all. So again, each team of those three has three losses right now. If they all finish with four, then it's a three-way tie. And the three-way tie is broken by the cumulative, uh, the record against the other teams in the tie, right? So uh, the winner of the Florida State-Louisville game on Monday will have the best record between a tie of Louisville, Duke, and Florida State. Uh, whoever wins that game between the Cardinals and the Seminoles will be guaranteed the best record between those three teams. So um, that means that if Florida State wins against Louisville on Monday and, and they're, all three of those teams finish with four losses, Florida State would be the uh, one seed 
in the ACC tournament. Uh, did you, first of all, did that all make sense? Uh, you know, repeat anything. Uh, but did I say that correctly, Michael, but also have you ever dreamed in your wildest imagination of, of finishing, uh, you know, as the one seed in the, in the ACC tournament? Yeah. So, so what I'm hearing is that regardless of, of what us or Louisville do, we Duke has to lose a game somewhere. Duke has to lose a game in order for any of this to matter. Duke has to lose. And, and that best chance probably comes at Virginia. Uh, what is that next week? Yeah. So we Duke, Duke has to drop a game. We have to play really well, I guess is, is the, the, the crib notes version of that. And I have thought about Florida State teams winning the ACC uh, regular season or however you want to call it, being the one seed in the ACC tournament. Yeah, that's like you don't win uh, anything. But, yeah, you win the one seed is what you win. <laughs> yeah, I think the ACC changed the, bi- changed the laws or something a few years ago that they, they officially made it okay to hang banners even though everybody was already hanging banners. So they recognize that you had the best record. They just don't recognize you as the, as the winner or some weird little uh, – um, headache like that uh, if but when I've thought about Florida State teams that might win the ACC this team was not on that list you know it's I, I was thinking that this team at the beginning of the season was you know probably about an eight seed in the in the ACC tournament or in the NCAA tournament and so the just the fact that we're talking about how we how how, how the math could work in our favor to to win the ACC is is pretty is pretty remarkable yeah, we talked a couple of years ago, I say talked, I think we wrote about and, and talked uh, to ourselves, to each other, um, about was that the coaching job that Hamilton did with the year that there was just so many injuries and, and I think Ike had to start like nine games. Was that kind of his best coaching job ever? I think it still made the Elite Eight. And, and maybe it was to that point. Um, but I, and I don't want to start, like we, the season still was a month to go. Who, you know, I think there's still bigger dreams out there, but man, Coach Hamilton has to be getting some respect for the coaching job he's done uh, this year, both both at, at like a regional level, but a national level. I mean, we're talking about a team that lost uh, six six players, including uh, two NBA players, off of off of a rock. You know, everyone kind of thought, well, this is going to be a step back year, and will they even make the tournament? I, I think you and I were a little more bullish on the team than most, uh, and and wow, they are. They are uh, just exceeding. Perhaps the only expectations they're not exceeding are are their own. So it, it certainly is fun to fun to chase. Um, why don't we? So we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we will talk about uh, some rooting guides uh, for for ACC and otherwise uh, for this weekend, and and then we'll also break down the matchup against a suddenly hot NC State team. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. And we are back. All right. Uh, so we, as, as promised, we are going to do a little bit of a rooting guide discussion. Uh, if you're not familiar with this, this is essentially, um, so in, in basketball, you know, you're never just playing 
in a, in a vacuum here. And, and uh, I think the football fans have sort of started to see experience more of this now that there's a playoff uh, in football as well. But, you know, your seeding that you're trying to go for, whether it's in the ACC or March, of course, is being impacted by all the other teams that are, that are around you as well. And so um, when we look at the uh, – well, I tell you what, let's, let's get one out the door real quickly. If, if you want that FSU one seed thing to happen, right, any Duke loss is a good loss because we need them to uh, – whether FSU wins out or not, we need them to pick up some at least one more loss. Uh, and, and Louisville is interesting. If, if you want that three-way tie with each team having four losses, probably need Louisville to win uh, their games when they're not playing Florida State. If you think that Duke could lose two games and Florida State could win out uh, – or, or, excuse me, if you think Florida State could win out, then it probably doesn't matter what Louisville does. But I, I don't know that I'm convinced that Florida State will win out. Uh, so in the ACC, I'd say root for Duke to lose. Probably doesn't much matter uh, after that. Let's go to the bracket matrix, though, and, and look at the teams that are around Florida State. Who, who is Florida, where is Florida State on the bracket matrix, Michael, and, and who are we competing with uh, for, for a high seed? So in, in today's update, which includes – it should include games through probably Tuesday night or something, um, Florida State would be the last of the two seeds, so the eighth overall seed. Uh, the one seeds, Baylor, Kansas, San Diego State, Gonzaga. The two seeds are Duke, Dayton, Maryland, uh, Florida State. So we're we're right in there battling for a two seed. Louisville is immediately behind us. So if we we if we if we take care of business against against them and finish strong, then I like our chances of finishing ahead of them. But there's still a lot of other teams there in the mix that you know that that are also all playing big games. We might not be watching them. Um, but there's, you know, plenty of, of basketball games that happen every single day that, that impact Florida State's uh, seeding in the, in the NCAA tournament. So even tonight, you know, it's, it's Thursday night, not much going on in, in the basketball world. Uh, Oregon is currently down 11 to uh, Arizona State at half. You know, Oregon is, is on the four seed line. So, you know, we, we look at those teams that are trying to pass us and, we you know we want them to lose and so uh, right now Florida State is battling for the last two seed you know we're worried about everybody pretty much like on the three four five line um, and then obviously the teams ahead of us that we want to lose so that we can pass them right and so that that's a good synopsis right there right you want the teams uh, behind us to lose so they don't catch us and ahead of us to lose so we could catch them with perhaps some small caveats in there and that sometimes if you know depending on how far behind you go, like if there's like a six seed and Florida State happens to own a win over that six seed, uh, sometimes, you know, you'd want to root for that team because in this newfangled uh, world of the net and you've got quad one wins and quad two wins, which uh, if, if you really want to get in the details, just go to Google and type in, you know, net quadrants basketball, and I'm sure you could find all the reading you want. Uh, Tomahawk Nation's written about it in the past as well. Uh, but the, the, basic sense of it is is that um if if you beat really good teams um or 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 decent teams on the road really good teams at home or decent teams on the road you get a quad one win uh and and those are coveted as the committee kind of uses uh those quad wins the quad one and two wins to differentiate between uh teams that might have similar records on a two or three seed line so let me ask, let's just get one thing out of the way 
it, is it realistic that Florida State could catch anyone on that one seed line with Baylor, Kansas, San Diego State, or Gonzaga? Uh, highly unlikely. I think the one potential would be San Diego State because they haven't played anybody. So if they were to suddenly lose a game, um, which would almost inevitably be, be a bad loss because they don't play anybody good, um, they would they would probably drop. But the likelihood of that happening is 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 not good. Um, Gonzaga, you know, they play St. Mary's and BYU. Outside of that, they're they're not they have no chance of losing. And then Baylor and Kansas, Baylor especially. Ba- Baylor's their resume is so Baylor's much better than Baylor's is right. Like yeah, Baylor they, is a one seed. Exactly, and Kansas is kind of getting into that territory where. You know, we we don't need them to lose once. We need them to lose like three times or four times to to think about passing them. And and I, you know, that's uh, highly unlikely. So the ones are are pretty, um, you know, set in stone. And when the when the NCAA released their sixteen teams the other day, they even said that afterwards that the ones are significantly um, ahead of all the twos, and 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 it's the same ones now as it was you know ten days ago. Yeah, it's interesting that we we hear so much this year about oh, there's no great teams, there's so much parity, there's no great teams, and I th- I think maybe if you compare this year to previous years like 2015 or something, there's certainly. Um, what happened was is I think that the recruiting class was a little bit weaker than some uh, past recruiting classes. And that, that's cyclical. That happens. There's, there's a, a couple coming up that are actually really strong. And you saw a little bit, maybe a, f- a few guys go pro maybe that were unexpected uh, last year. And so, so they maybe went a year maybe ahead of their time. Like a Fiondu might uh, qualify for that. Even though he still got picked in the first round, you might have thought, oh, he could last one more year. But as far as like comparing within the contemporaries this year, uh, I don't know if I don't buy that there's no great, like there is definitely separation at the top. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if I buy this parody, uh, at least at the top. Baylor and Kansas, and to some extent Gonzaga in there too, have, have really uh, kind of separated themselves out. And, and I'll go a step further and say that the winner of the Baylor-Kansas game on Saturday, they play at noon. Should be a great game. I, I don't know that there's a rooting interest for Florida State. The winner of that game, I will say, could is, is going to be a one seed, maybe even if they lost their remaining four or five games. Uh, their resume would be that good, particularly if it's Baylor getting the sweep over Kansas. They already beat them in Allen uh, uh, Fogg. So, yeah, the top feels out of reach. But after that, it does seem like there's some wiggle room. Uh, so let's go through maybe a list of games here that are on Saturday and Sunday that you've got your eye on. Um, I know Duke's playing Virginia Tech. We already said that any Duke loss is a good loss. Uh, Dayton has Duquesne. Doesn't seem like that's likely. But after that, it seems like there's some real chances at some, some uh, you know, seed-shifting uh, losses here from the teams around us. Yeah, absolutely. There's, there's a couple of fun games that people should be paying attention to because it's – you, you mentioned earlier that it gets uh, complicated sometimes on which teams to root for. But we have uh, Tennessee at Auburn. You know, Florida State beat Tennessee early in the season. Auburn is, is a, <laughs> Auburn's a team that we want to lose. And so that, that would be, you know, sort of the, the double bonus for Florida State is that if, if Tennessee can not only pick up a quality win, but also knock off the team that we're competing against. Yeah, Auburn's and then the exact same line, thing with, right? with yeah. Florida yeah, Florida, Kentucky. Kentucky is uh, 
um, where they, they're, they're like right around the four, four, five, uh, they're hosting the Gators. And so, you know, hold your nose and root for the Gators because we, you know, we, we want them to pick up a quality win. We want Kentucky to lose. Uh, yeah. So that's, that's, that's sort of the, the gist of it. And then there's some, some other teams, um, Villanova, you know, they, they play at Xavier, uh, road games are never easy. Villanova is a three seed. Um, and then Penn State, they play they play on Sunday, right? Penn State does play on Penn Sunday. Penn State plays at Indiana. Yeah, a team we lost to. Yeah, against the against a team that all right, exactly. So we want Indiana to, to finish strong so that that will be a, a quad one loss and not a quad two loss. Absolutely. And Penn State being there on that three line, giving them a loss uh, would be would be like you said, double bonus. Uh, Maryland is at Ohio State. Uh, if you, any of y'all want to check out CJ Walker, former Florida State guard, click over to CBS at four on Sunday. And Maryland is is the team that is uh, right ahead of us on the two line on bracket matrix. So as we look at, well, are we trying to you know maybe move up a spot? Uh, Maryland, you know, getting a win at Ohio State would, would probably solidify them there on that two line, uh, but a loss. While it wouldn't be super damaging at this time of year, any law, you know, any even dropping one or two spots on the S curve uh, could make a difference. And you've also got West Virginia going to TCU. Uh, is that is that one where it, I mean we're rooting for TCU? West Virginia's on the four line. Can can they pull off the upset there? I really like West Virginia, but they've had some they've had some head scratchers this year. So, you know, I. I would not be surprised to see them lose, especially, you know, they have to, they have to go and play on the road. Um, I, that might be, I don't remember what time Florida state. I think, I think that's right before the Florida state game. Um, if for, so for folks at home, you know, the, the thing that I like to do on Saturday morning is pull up bracket matrix and just see who's around Florida state in the, in the list and then see who they're playing. And that, that gives me a good idea for the day on, on, on who to root for or root against. Um, the other thing Matt mentioned was, you know, ex-Florida State player, C.J. Walker, if you want to t- tune into Ohio State. Um, you can also turn in to, or excuse me, tune in um, to Seton Hall, who plays on Sunday, if you want to see an ex-Florida State player, Ike Obiagu. Um, he will most likely be sitting on the bench, so make sure you look for him as the camera pans by. He played <laughs> one minute. He, he played one minute against Butler the other night. Uh, yeah, did has not he added him. weight, too? Uh, he looks like a totally different guy. Yeah, it's 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 the real shit side of college basketball. It happens with a lot of these foreign-born players. They come over here, they get some really bad uh, advice, they get some bad people around them, um, and they just they led him to a school where he doesn't fit in, where he's not playing, um, and you know, happy. This is happy the school that has an assistant coach that's being looked at for uh, transfer tampering violations, correct? Yeah. 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 So. That's, that's what I, that's what I thought. Um, I feel honestly, I feel bad for the kid. Uh, I, I actually saw him on campus uh, around the time that he was announcing the transfer. And um, he, I, you know, he, he almost looked like he had tears in his eyes uh, t- saying that he wasn't going to be back with this team that he seemed to uh, love so much, but sounds like Sunday you can catch uh, former Florida State player day between Ohio State and, and Seton Hall. And and really, Saturday should just be a heck of a game. Uh, park park yourself in front of your favorite watering hole, and you got uh, the Kansas Baylor game at noon. Uh, that 2 p.m. as you mentioned, the West Virginia TCU game. Of course, Florida State plays at four. 
Uh, six o'clock, you can root, you can hold your nose and root for UF over Kentucky, which would be easier to do after a Florida State win, hopefully. Uh, and then Oregon at, at Arizona at nine, and then of course 10 p.m. Gonzaga at BYU. And if you've never seen BYU play at the Marriott Center, uh, that is a treat to watch. Uh, so just saddle up and have a enjoy your Saturday, folks. Um, all right. Speaking of Saturday, we've got Florida State. Uh, looking to go on the road and grab what would be a quad one victory over NC State. Uh, if this were being played in Tallahassee, it would not be a quad one win, but because it's on the road, it is. Um, Ken Palm has Florida State only favored by one, 73-72. Uh, and we just saw what NC State did to a, uh, a good, although perhaps uh, slightly softer than normal version of a Duke team. Uh, what are you expecting, Michael? You know, this this is a matchup that I have not been looking forward to all year. Uh, they When they interviewed um, uh, the, the, the coach for um, Keats for, for uh, NC State, he said that Florida State plays the way that they want to be playing. And I, I think that his lineup has the uh, – not I don't want to say unique, but a, a pretty strong ability to give FSU some problems. You know, they have – uh, you know, not even counting C.J. Bryce, who's their who's their lead scorer. He's a guy who I think that we can actually um, contain if we focus on him. Uh, Markel Johnson is their second leading scorer, and then Devin Daniels is their uh, third or fourth scorer. And Daniels and Markel Johnson just make a living getting inside the defense and you know making good things happen. Uh, we have no one on the roster who can who can stop Markel Johnson one on one. Devin Daniels is a little bigger, not quite as quite as quick so you know we, we can we can contain him the good news is that they're not a very good shooting team so typically. when they <laughs> typically yeah tell that to duke right um they're not a particularly good shooting team so the, when they do get inside the defense uh the damage is most likely to be done you know at the rim as opposed to driving in and kicking out for threes if they are kicking out for threes i think that's probably in our favor just because they don't they don't have a guy on their team who's who is you know a, a, a 40 plus percent shooter uh, from three not a single one I think the highest on the team is like 36 percent so they have a lot of okay shooters nobody great um, I'm, I'm but I'm really seriously concerned about uh, you know Johnson and Devin Daniels well and Markel first of all I think Markel he came in in that Ingen Atzer class right I, I feel like he was maybe in Herb's lap or maybe uh, Sydney's uh, first class I don't know no it feels like he's been there forever but he kind of has that um, XRM look to me where he almost seems like a better shooter off the bounce uh, where, where he's sort of forced to get his feet up underneath him, square his shoulders and really get good lift on his jumper uh, as opposed to perhaps some of the catch and shoot situations. I, I don't have a, um, I mean, maybe we can do a Kickstarter to get a, a, a subscription to synergy. So I, I, but at this point I haven't been able to verify that on synergy, but, uh, it, it just appears to me that he is a more comfortable shooter off the bounce. Uh, but let me, let me throw a couple numbers at you and you tell me if, if uh, we're going to play a game here where I say a number that either looks like it could be in our favor or could be a concern. You tell me if, if you think we'll be able to actually, uh, if that will come to fruition or if we could maybe turn the tide. So uh, first one here is that NC State only turns it over 
16.8% uh, of their possessions, which uh, is, is 43rd in the country, 43rd out of 353. So we, we like to turn teams over. That's how we thrive uh, to get into our offense. Does that concern you that they only turn it over, uh, you know, less than 17% of the time? Yeah, I think what we've seen out of our defense is that when we're not turning teams over, we, we're not uh, particularly special in any way on, on defense. So we really have to be disruptive, um, you know, to, for our defense to be firing on all cylinders. And so if NC State is able to take care of the ball and eke out good possessions, then, the, you know, this is going to be a tough game for Florida State to be able to score enough uh, you know, to be able to keep up with them, especially since we're on the road. All right. I I agree. I think that uh, it, it will be tough. I, I will say, though, I think we will – I don't know if we're going to turn them over 25% of the time like we have to some teams, but I, I would bet that we turn them over higher than average. The question is, will those be live ball, and can we turn them into to dunks and layups? So let's go, let's go to another number. Uh, this one may be in Florida State's favor. NC State gives up almost 30% uh of offensive uh boards so so on when they're on defense they and there's a shot they they give up on the 30 percent of the time almost of offensive rebound which is 258th in the country uh will florida state maybe perhaps will patrick williams be able to take advantage there yeah so florida state is uh three and five in games in which they uh get fewer than 30 percent of their own misses and they're, you know, what, like 19 and one or something in, in games when they get at least 30% of the really? misses. That's a great, I, 19 and one when we grab at least 30% of our own misses. Yeah. See what you learn when you, when you call me in to this little thing. You know what? Um, this is, this is why we pay you the big bucks, sir. <laughs> right. Uh, the one game we lost where we actually rebounded pretty well was Duke. And you know, that was, that was a good game. We just shot horribly. Game. Yeah. It's, it's exactly. So you know, I, I really like the fact that NC State is, is not a great rebounding team. Their, their bigs are not, uh, you know, sort of space-clearing bigs that, you know, for, say, for someone like Vernon Carey, you know, they're more like pogo stick bigs. And, and so you can, you, can, you, can, you can get some rebounds around their big guys, you know, even though Florida State will, will most likely be, be playing small most of the game. Uh, I, I hope so. I will, I'll admit and say that DJ Funderburg uh, scares me. And I don't know that he does any one particular thing like that well, you know? I mean, he's, he's, you know, he doesn't really rebound. Actually, his defensive rebounding numbers are very similar to Balsa, although he plays a lot more minutes than Balsa. Uh, he's, he's an okay shooter uh, from like a 16-footer type stuff. I, I don't, he doesn't really have three-point range. He's only made four in the season. But I just, when I watch NC State, and I've seen them play a couple times, uh, he, he does scare me, uh, and we're going to need to make sure we, we get a body on him. But I, overall, great stat with the 19-1, and and overall I do think that we've started to see some progress be made there from guys like Pat and Bolsa that they're really starting to just come into their own on the offensive glass, and it's, and it's making a difference. All right, let me here's one more for you, uh, and this one is the number seven. Uh, so that NC State only – they really only go seven deep right now. They've got uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven guys who are playing at – who have played at least 40% of their minutes, and nobody else is really getting any run at all. Uh, and, and then when you – so when you combine that uh, with the fact that 
they are a decently fast paced team. They're not, you know, the Tar Heels, but they're the third fastest tempo in the conference. And Florida state also doesn't mind running a bit. Uh, Do you see, is that something where if, if it, if the game's close around maybe the 10 minute mark, uh, is, is that advantage FSU? It is, but probably not as much as people are, are hoping for. You know, if you, if you look at the guys that Keats has been recruiting, these dudes are, they are, uh, they're ripped and they're are in shape. They, they're used to running up and down the court for 38 minutes a game or something. Markel Johnson, you cannot, you can't tell me that that guy has ever once been tired in, in a basketball game. And, and a few, a few of the other players are just kind of the same way. You know, they're, they're, they're not these, it's not Notre Dame, you know, Notre Dame, we could wear down by making them run. NC State's going to be a little tougher. You know, of course, nobody, um, you know, outside of Markel Johnson, I guess, can consistently play that high of minutes without having some sort of drop off. And so, you know, this is a game where you had mentioned live ball turnovers earlier. You know, this, this is a game where we are going to have to figure out a way to, to ramp up the, the uh, tempo, you know, sort of on, on both ends of the floor. Um, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know that we're going to go zone, you know, a whole bunch to try to slow them down or anything. I think, I think this is a game where we want everybody running all the time um, so that there is actually a chance to kind of wear them down in the second half. If we play a slow paced game, they could all play 40 minutes and probably be fine. Yeah. Look, look at the numbers on Mark Hill Johnson uh, here. We'll, we'll just maybe do the last eight, eight or 10 games, but so uh, 38 minutes against Virginia on January 20th, 38 minutes against Georgia Tech on the 25th, 36 against UNC uh, two days later after that Georgia Tech game, 35 against Louisville, 36 against Miami, 32 against Syracuse. He actually only played 18 against Boston College in a loss of, uh, last week because he had four fouls and really sat much of the game with foul trouble, but then 36 against Duke. So essentially every game other than that BC game, he's playing 35 plus minutes. Uh, he's put a couple 39s on the board earlier this year. But like you said, he just never seems to get tired. I don't know. I'd like to think that maybe this is the game where uh, even if he's still physically is fine, that we, you know, going back to our conversation about Trent, does that lead to some mental miscues? Uh, and, and while he certainly is, he's one of the ACC's leaders in assists, he's also got a fairly high turnover rate. He's been over 20% for a turnover rate his entire career. Um, and I, I think we can, I, I think is assuming Devin Vassell plays, assuming MJ Walker uh, plays and Pat Williams, I do think we can force him into uh, some, some maybe unfocused errors uh and 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 perhaps get some four or six point bursts on the board uh with some transition dunks all right yeah that's um, a good that's a good that's a good call and and uh you know markel johnson probably grew up in a house with the vhs tape because he's he's got a lot of alan iverson in his game and which is not good if you're not alan iverson yeah. um, he you know it, so florida state can definitely kind of bait him into taking a few bad shots and making some some silly passes and and, and that sort of thing it's just and you know hopefully like you said if, if if he gets a little bit mentally worn down you know he'll be more likely to do those things yeah in their wins so last night uh he had one turnover against duke uh earlier in the year when they beat uh they they beat Miami, Clemson, and Virginia in back-to-back-to-back games uh, in January. They were playing pretty well. 
he had in those three games a combined three turnovers, right? Um, and, and, you know, that Virginia is not necessarily a team that's going to wear you out and go up and down. They're not at all, actually. Um, but so he, in their wins, he has, he has controlled those turnovers in their losses. So he, even though he only played 18 minutes against BC, he had six turnovers. Uh, he had four against UNC, four against Georgia Tech, six against Clemson when they lost to Clemson, uh, five against Virginia Tech. So I, I think, you know, Martell is a guy that, that that could be the fulcrum point of the game right there. Are we able to get bad Markel or, or let's say um, inconsistent Markel out there where, where he's taking wild shots, turning the ball over, or is it the Markel that just showed up against Duke that went five for six from three, was able to get uh, to pick his spots in the court, set up others, and finish with nine rebounds and four assists with just the one turnover. Um, so, so he he is certainly the guy uh, that that needs to be you know honed in on by the Florida State defense. Let's let's maybe do some predictions. I know you said you haven't been feeling this matchup. Um, NC State may be slightly less desperate than they were perhaps at the beginning of the week. Although their NCAA tournament resume is nowhere near safe, they would probably be on the wrong side of the bubble if uh, the tournament committee chose things today. Uh, what is your prediction going into this game? Yeah, I think I, I have, let's see here, 9, 10, 11 consecutive uh, games in which I've picked Florida State to win. The last time I picked them to lose was against Louisville on the road. So uh, take this to, you know, you can, you can, you can use that uh, uh, to kind of bolster your, 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 your hopes about this game. But I think Florida State's going to drop this one. I think that, uh, it has it has nothing to do with with how NC State bounces back from Duke. I think it's just it's just a bad matchup for Florida State. If this is one of those games where, you know, if we're if we're in the say four five game or three six game in the NCAA tournament, and I saw this matchup coming, I would be pretty upset about the draw. You know, we talk a lot about about how important the draw is, and and I I think that you know this is a team that just it's just not a good you know, it's not a good draw for FSU, and so. I, I think we're going to lose, you know, probably be a close game. I'll, I'll take NC State, like, you know, 74 to 69 or, or something or something along those lines. I, I can't say I blame you for any of that logic. I, I, I get it. Uh, um, I, I do. So it's a tough arena to play in. It's a bit, it's one of the, it's almost like an NCAA tournament arena. It's big sight lines aren't necessarily the best. Uh, it's kind of, it's kind of a cavernous uh, arena. It's also where they play hockey, the Carolina Hurricanes. So, you know, the court isn't always, um, you know, ideal. Uh, but I, I don't know. I, I just I, – I actually think that Florida State's been playing pretty well lately. Um, we, we've talked before about, like, teams go through – just like – so basketball is a game of runs, and, and the, the individual games themselves are games of runs where, you know, just we were talking NC State's up 20, Duke cuts it to 10, and then NC State goes back up 20. Um, and the season is sort of a game of runs as well. And, and we just like Louisville, for instance, uh, they had their kind of, they were in a rut last week and, and last week would have been a great week to play Louisville. They seem to have bounced back out of that. Florida state seemed to be in a bit of a rut when, when they earlier in the year, um, really didn't play all that well at Miami squeaked out a win despite again, not playing well against Notre Dame and then, then lost to Virginia on the road. I think we've been playing better. I, I know that we lost the Duke game. I think you – we even said that night, uh, 
for shooting as poorly as we did, it's pretty incredible. We were only uh, we were in it at the end. I thought we played pretty well overall. The Syracuse game, look, I know it was a three point game, and I know what Louisville just did to Syracuse. We played that game without our leading scorer and rebounder, and had MJ Walker out for most of the game, and still led by double digits in the second half. And then, and then the Pittsburgh game was just, and, and Pittsburgh's not great, but that second half was was completely blowing them out the door. Uh, and so I, I think that it's going to be a battle. There's going to be times where it looks like NC State is maybe going to pull away, uh, but some way, somehow, uh, this this mentally tough team finds a way to get it done. I'll say, put me down uh, for a little bit higher scoring than maybe what the computer suggests. And I'll say uh, 79 to 77 Florida state within a massive matchup against Louisville two days later. Uh, all right. That I think that's going to do it. We will, uh, we'll, we'll be back probably Sunday uh, to talk up to, to wrap up the NC state game and preview the Louisville game um, for Michael. I'm Matt. Uh, Maybe Michael's cough will be better by then too, but otherwise go Knowles.